Welcome to the City Church Podcast, your home for the latest sermons and audio updates from City Church St. Petersburg. We meet each Sunday at 1030 a.m. at 1211 1st Avenue North on the third floor. You get what you pay for, right? You, you do. You get what you pay for. If you've been on Amazon at all, you have always seen that when you want to buy something, there are always five options cheaper than the one that you originally went looking for. Uh, and if you're anything like me, you look at those and go, well, I don't know, what's, what's the difference, right? You know, and you go and look at the reviews. We found this out in our family in a, in a very real way a few weeks ago. Uh, so my wife started shopping at Aldi, um, and we found, she found these nutter, uh, nutter bars, nutty bars, right? I don't know. My, my wife and oldest son love these things. Like after dinner every night, we're going to have a nutty bar. That's, that's what they do. And so they decided to go to, when she was at Aldi, she said, oh, look, these are half the price of the already a dollar for a box nutty bars, right? And so they bought them. They bought these like very inexpensive Aldi brand nutty bars. And they're the, the little chocolate and peanut butter wafer things. And they opened them up, and I, I get up from the table to, to get my wife and my son their after-dinner snack, and I immediately open the box and look at them, and I'm thinking, mm-hmm, you get what you pay for. And immediately my wife and son crack open that thin plastic, take a bite, and they kind of looked at each other. Yeah, mm, not so good, right? Not so good. The replacement is not as good as the real thing, right? We know this so many times in our life, where the replacement is just that. It's not the real thing. How many times have you like been somewhere and instead of having Coke, they have Czech soda? Yeah, right? right. Or worse, RC, right? <laughs> Right when when there you know when there's that thing when you're expecting one thing and you get a replacement it's never as good. That's what we're going to see a little bit this week. We've been walking through the book of Judges and for the past few weeks we've been talking about this man named Gideon. Now Gideon was is a man who has had ups and downs in his life. Right when we meet him first. He is cowardly, he is hiding away, he is trying to hide from the bad guys. And then God comes to him and says, I've got a big job for you, I've got this thing I want you to do. And Gideon is kind of skittish, he says, well, uh, show me a sign. And so God does. And God says, I want you to go tear down this altar. And Gideon says, okay, I'll do it at night. Hush, hush, be cool. I'm going to do this quietly, right? And he does. And then God says, I'm going to gather an army to you, and you are going to help rescue my people. And so God gathers this army around him, and Gideon says, uh, well, are you sure? Show me a sign that you're sure. So God shows him a sign. And then Gideon says, okay, uh, thank you. Really appreciate that. Do it again, but different. And God is gracious to Gideon. And God says to Gideon, okay, I will. So then... Gideon is there, and he has 32,000 men at his side. And God says to cowardly Gideon, Yeah, that's too many people. You have too many people in your army. Because if you win the battle right now, with 32,000 people, here's what you're going to think. You're going to think that I did this. You're going to think, Ah, I'm the one who saved Israel 
I get the credit for this. So here's what I'm going to do, Gideon. We're going to whittle down your numbers. And so the first thing he has him do is say, if anybody's scared, tell them they can go home. So scared Gideon says, if anybody's scared, you can go home. And 22,000 people pack up their stuff and leave. And God says, yeah, that's a good start. Let's do something else. Let's see how everybody likes to drink water. Take them down to the river. And God says, if they drink like this, put them on that side. If they drink like this, put them on that side. And so he's left, and he's got two groups. One with 300, one with 9,700. Which one do you think God told him to take? The side with 300. And these 300 men and Gideon end up routing the entire army of bad guys. But probably something to the tune of 200,000 warriors are routed by 300 men. An amazing story. Something that could only happen if there was some sort of miracle. It could only happen if something divine was a part of it. And then Gideon goes after and cleans up. Right, the, the rest of this army sort of flees and Gideon chases after him and he kills the king and he wins the battle. And everybody in Israel lived happily ever after. Or not. We're going to pick up the story of Gideon right after all of the bad guys are vanquished. All of the people, all of the kings of the enemies are killed. And we're going to see something this morning for us. So if you would, stand up. We're going to read. I'm going to read Judges chapter 8. And I'm going to read uh, from about verse 22 on. It'll be on the screen. uh, Or you can have it on your phone. Or if you have a, a Bible, it's in there too, right? This is the word of God. Then the men of Israel said to Gideon, Rule over us, you and your son and your grandson also, for you have saved us from the hand of Midian. And Gideon said to them, I will not rule over you, and my son will not rule over you. The Lord will rule over you. And Gideon said to them, Let me make a request of you, though. Every one of you give me the earrings from his spoil." For they had golden earrings because they were Ishmaelites. And they answered, We will willingly give them. And they spread a cloak, and every man threw in it the earrings of his spoil. And the weight of the golden earrings that he requested was 1,700 shekels, or about 50 pounds of gold, besides the crescent ornaments and the pendants and the purple garments worn by the kings of Midian, and besides the collars that were around the necks of the camels. And Gideon made an ephod of it and put it in his city Ophrah. And all Israel whored after it there. And it became a snare to Gideon and to his family. So Midian was subdued before the people of Israel, and they raised their heads no more. And the land had rest for 40 years in the days of Gideon. City Church, this is the word of God written nearly 3,000 years ago and intended for us this morning. You may be seated. Not quite so happily ever after, right? Gideon, not quite the hero we need. What do we see in this story? We we see that this story is an ending of a tragedy. Not the ending of a happily ever after type of story. And we see that in a number of ways. And what we see in the people of Israel is that they were uncomfortable. They were uncomfortable with the way that God worked. And so they were trying to replace God with other things. 
Think about it. When God said, you have too many people in your army. Your army is too large. God tells Gideon and us why he wants to make the army smaller. He says, I want you to whittle down your numbers. I want you to go in with a smaller force for one purpose. The purpose is, I want you to walk away from this battle knowing that it had nothing to do with anybody's strength. Nothing to do with anybody's cleverness. Nothing to do with anything that you could take care of on your own. I want you to know that I won this battle. As soon as the battle is over, what do the people of Israel do? They come to Gideon and said, You won the battle! Look at you! You go, Gideon! Four candy canes for Gideon! You, you got it. You did the thing. Let's make you king because you did the thing. Who are they supposed to give credit to? Who is, who is supposed to get the credit for what was happening here? God. Who do they give the credit to? Gideon. They give the credit to Gideon. And this is exactly what God wanted avoid. This is exactly why God chose someone like Gideon. Someone who was by all accounts a coward. Someone who by all accounts was from a small poor family. He was from a, a backseat town. He was from the Alabama of Israel. Right? I see you Alabama. He was from the middle of nowhere. And God raises him up so that God will get the credit. And as soon as the battle is over, the people of Israel want to make him king. And Gideon, Gideon gives the right answer. He says, oh, no, 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 no. I won't be king. And neither my sons. The Lord should be the king. But what we're going to see in a minute is that his actions are speaking a lot louder than his words. But before we get to that, I want to just stop for a second and think about why this was happening. Why was Israel so quick to want to make Gideon king? They wanted to make Gideon king <laughs> This is going to play a part in the sermon in a second. You just watch. They wanted to make Gideon king because they were uncomfortable with the fact that God was winning the battle. It's much easier for us to attribute things that happen in our lives to natural means than it is to see God working in the supernatural. It's so much easier for me to be able to explain what is happening by natural order than it is for me to see with faith what is happening. The people of Israel could make sense of the fact that Gideon was a great leader and had crushed the bad guys for them. What they struggled with is the idea that God had won the battle. Which is, incidentally, something you and I struggle with. When things happen in our lives, what do we attribute them to? When things in our lives go well, what do we 
attribute that to? Some of us attribute it to luck, right? What, what, what a happy accident that I needed $50 to pay my bill and I found a $50 bill on the ground. It's kismet. It's fate. What good fortune has befallen me? How often do we look at lights when we're running late to work and all of a sudden all the lights on First Avenue South heading into town start clicking in order? Click, 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 click. And we start cruising into town without a single stoplight. What do we say? How lucky am I today? This is, this is especially true with us as parents. It's knocking on the door, it's coming back, right? When we see a kid who is an angel, when we see a kid who like follows all the rules and sits quietly and acts nothing like most of our children, what do we say about those parents? How lucky. How lucky are those parents that those kids are perfect little angels? Now, what's the flip side of that? When a child is acting up, when a child is running wild, what do we say about the parents? They must be some terrible parents. Right? If a child is good, a parent is lucky. If a child is bad, a parent is terrible. <laughs> a lot of you without kids are laughing because that's what you think about the rest of us who do have kids. And teachers are saying this too. But here's the thing. It's easy for us to attribute things that happen in our life to fortune, to kismet, to luck. Because that means that we still have a little bit of control. Because the other thing that we want to attribute good things in our life to is our own strength. The fact that you and I accomplished it. Why did you get the promotion at work? Because you worked harder than everybody else. Why is it that you are financially in the place that you are? Because you pulled yourself up by your bootstraps and have worked hard. Why is it that your relationships are going well? Because you are doing the right thing and trying harder than anybody else. You see, the trap that we fall into, that I fall into, is replacing what God is doing in my life. Is replacing what God has set up for us to see around us. Replacing the things and good gifts that God has given us with ourselves. With the fact that I'm the one who did this. You see, it's uncomfortable for us to admit that there is more in this life than we can control. I don't want to admit that so much that happens in my life, whether it's at work, whether it's with my kids, whether it's in relationships, whether it's in any part of my life, so much of that is out of my control. And that's hard to admit for most of us. Because we've been raised and we've been taught that if you work hard, 
good things will happen. If you put your mind to it, you can do it. If you can dream it, you can do it. And what God comes along and says to us is, there is more to this life than what you can control and what you can do. Because I am working. I am doing things greater than you can imagine. I am winning victories over hundreds of thousands of people. And yet, we often want to attribute that to something else. And so, that's what the people of Israel did. They said, this must be because of you, Gideon. This must be because of your leadership. This must be because you're smart and clever. But Gideon sort of pays lip service to it. He says, oh, no, 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 no. Don't make me the king. God should be your king. Now, notice what he didn't say. God won the battle. Right? He, he didn't actually go so far as, to, you know, God won the battle. He said, oh, no, 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 don't make me king. But if you want to give me your money like you would a king, go for it. Right? You know, you know when somebody's like fishing for a compliment. Right? You know, oh, stop. Stop. No. Right? But really they're saying keep going. Gideon says, oh, no, don't make me king. Don't make me king. But... I just laid a cloak out on the ground. And if you want to throw some gold in as a little thank you for all that I've done for you people, go ahead and do that. And so the people throw in their gold. And it reminds us, this is meant to remind us of another story in the Old Testament. Where the high priest Aaron, the brother of Moses, said, you know, Moses has been gone for a long time. And... We don't have a God to worship. We can't see God. So here's what everybody should do. Give me their gold. Give me your gold. And here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to just throw it in the fire and we'll see what happens. And he throws it in the fire and he makes a golden calf and says, this is our God. We're meant to see this because what does he do? Everybody throws in their earrings and Gideon makes an ephod which is a piece of clothing that is essential for modern people like us. I'm sure you have, I'm sure every one of you has an ephod in your closet, if not several. I mean, I'm surprised there's not an artisan ephod shop somewhere on Central Avenue. Come get your artisanal ephods. No, we, an ephod, that, that is a strong word that most of us before this morning have never heard before. Right? And so, uh, let me tell you what it is. It's basically a fancy golden apron. Okay? It's a fancy golden apron. And it was a fancy golden apron that was worn by the priests. In fact, just the high priest. And so when the people of Israel went to worship God at the tabernacle, they would see the high priest, and he had this gold apron on. And this gold apron symbolized the way that God spoke to the people of Israel. Well, Gideon says, you know, the tabernacle is an awful long way away from my house. That's an awful long way to go to have to hear what God has to say. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to make my own. And I'm going to put it in my hometown, and everything's going to be cool. So he takes, and 
he makes all of that gold into this ephod, into this, this priestly garment. And he puts it in his hometown. And things do not go well. Right? In fact, the Bible uses a word that we probably would not want our children to read or have to explain to our children. Right? Because what does the Bible say the people of Israel did with this ephod? They hoard after it. Right? Not a typical church word. Right? Some other translations say that they prostituted themselves before it. That they lusted after it. What is going on with this apron? The people of Israel wanted a God of convenience who would do exactly what they wanted. They didn't want to have to travel across the country to go see a priest. They didn't want to have to travel a long distance to meet with God. And so what did they do? They just said, well, we'll just do it here. We'll just set things up here and do things our way. You know, I know God has said this, but I'm just going to do this my way, and I'm sure he'll think that's cool. And it became a snare to the people of Israel. It became a snare to Gideon and his family. They wanted their own way of approaching God. They wanted God on their terms. Which again, is something we struggle with. I want God to speak to me on demand. I want God to give me messages into my brain to tell me what decision to make. Right? I want an easy way Because doing things like going to church, doing things like reading my Bible, doing things like being in community with other Christians, that's kind of hard work. I have to wake up on Sundays. That's a rest day. I have to talk to people. I have to let other people know me for who I am. And that's hard, and I don't want to do that. So what I want is God to just give me a magical experience, and that is what I'll base everything on. What does God say? That's not the way he works. You see, we're uncomfortable with the normal things that God has given us. And so we seek to replace him. At the end of the day, what this comes down to is we aren't satisfied with God. God has set things up. God has set things in motion in our life. God has done unbelievable things in our lives, but we aren't satisfied with it. And so we look at so many other things to fix us. Let me put this another way. Fill in the blank. If this was just changed in my life, I would be happy. If this was just changed in my life, I would be happy. Whatever that this is, whatever that thing 
that you think is the one thing that's holding you back from being happy, from being fulfilled, functionally, that is what you worship. That is what I worship. If, if I just got and attained this level of fitness or health, then I would be happy. That is your God. If my finances just looked this way, then I would be happy. If, if my friends and my relationships got to this point, then I would be happy. Whatever your this is, whatever that one thing is, that is the thing that you and I functionally worship. The people of Israel were uncomfortable with the fact that God won this battle. They were uncomfortable with the way that God set up things to be done. And so what they did is said, well, we'll just make Gideon our king. We'll just give Gideon the credit. We'll just, we'll just worship in our own way. We'll just do whatever we feel is right. comfortable with what God has said, and so they replace him. And in so many ways, you and I do the same thing. But we see something else in the story, because the story points us to a true Savior. Gideon was frail, Gideon was weak, and yet he saved the people of Israel. His ephod that he made, his golden priestly apron, was a sham. And yet, both of these things point to the fact that Jesus is our great Savior. And He is our great High Priest. So, while you and I have this struggle, whether we're a Christian or whether we're just learning about Christianity, no matter where we are in the spectrum, we all struggle with this idea of replacing God. And God says, I know. I know that you struggle with that. And here's the thing. I love you through Jesus in spite of that. Because Jesus died for all of the ways that you and I want to replace him. Jesus died for all of the ways that you and I want to worship in our own way. For all the ways that you and I want to chase things and make other things our God. Jesus is a high priest who understands us. And what's really interesting is that this story begins to change the book of Judges. Every other time we have a judge, things go well in Israel so long as he's alive. So as long as Ehud was alive, everything was fine in Israel. As long as Shamgar was alive, we skipped that story, it was a short one, everything was fine in Israel. As long as these guys are alive, things are going well. But what happens? When they die, things go downhill. But what about in this story? Gideon is not dead yet, and yet things are already still going downhill. And does God punish them? Does God zap the people of Israel? Or is he gracious? In spite of the fact that they are chasing after this golden apron, God still gives them rest for 40 years. Because the good news of Jesus is, that despite the fact that we are messed up and broken, that we worship other things, that we make any good thing that God has given us into an ultimate thing, despite that being who we often are, because of Jesus, our great high priest, 
we are loved and given peace and given rest. So as we sort of reflect on this text this morning, what are the ways that you and I are replacing God? What are the ways that we are trusting in our own strength, that we are attributing what happens to luck? What are the ways that we are making something else into the thing that we worship? And as we think about those things, yes, we are reminded of our brokenness, but let us in equal and more part be reminded of the way that Jesus loves us, that this is no surprise to him, that this is not shocking to him, but that in the face of that, he loves us and gave himself for us so that we can go and show that same love to others, so that we can actively wage the peace of Jesus in our city. How is God setting you up this week to show that sort of preemptive kindness? How is God setting you up to love someone who doesn't deserve it this week? Let's pray.